0: The scripture lesson today is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, found on page 1002 of your Pew Bible. Let us first first approach God in prayer. God of grace and God of glory, we gather to praise you and to worship you. We thank you for your Holy Word. Help us to approach it with awe and reverence. We know that we cannot understand it by any natural process, and we pray that you send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may know what you would have us to know, and to know how to represent the mind of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he made to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Have you ever had one of those neat experiences where um, you kind of get to go into an area where most folks don't get to go because of who you know? Maybe um, maybe you've gotten to meet someone or or, or see some of the, the back workings of something that most folks don't get to. We, um, um, Robin's cousin in Alabama would cater the uh, Alabama Music Hall of Fame concert once a year, and so we would get to go and Um, go to the area where the band was eating as uh, they were serving them, and we would get to sit in the very front VIP section as we got to watch Hank Williams Jr. and Merle Haggard and Vern Gosden and several others. It was really great because, I mean, don't you just love those moments where there's a security guard, there's no admittance, and somebody looks and points at you and says, it's okay, they're with me. And you get to walk past them, and of course you're going to strut if you're going to the VIP section. But have you gotten to experience that at some point, maybe to see a, a sports personality or, or music or something? I think several folks had, and it's always because not, not you know, what we, who, are, who we are in ourselves, but, but who we know. It's good to know people. I say if, if you've had a 13-year-old daughter, you might have experienced the complete opposite the expectation when malls were a thing of dad and mom, walk a little bit ahead of me at the mall so people don't know that you're with me. Not saying that's what Keelan was like, but I will say that one day when I was having uh, something done to my car and I had to borrow the church van uh, to pick her up at school, she closed down, did not want to be associated with me in any way. She was ashamed Um, to have an association. Well, those are kind of the categories of what this passage in Hebrews is talking about. Now, you remember Hebrews is showing how Christ is better, and we're in an area where he's talking about how he's better than the angels. And we looked at last week how how Christ was made a little lower than the angels so that he could be glorified, and how he suffered death, how he tasted death for all people. And so we're picking up with that idea that he died on our behalf. And so the, the author of Hebrews shows us a few parallels, parale- parallels of uh, things that show why it's appropriate for Christ to have become flesh and died. Uh, the first is it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist. should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That is, he is bringing many sons to glory, and the one doing that is the one through whom all things were created and for whom all things exist. He is the one who made everything. And so what he's saying is it's appropriate that the one who made everything is the one who is rescuing his creation, right? So we were made through Christ, in Christ, for Christ. And, and it's not some third party who's coming to save us and go to the cross. It's not a different God who made everything than the God who saves us. And so, sometimes I think there's almost this sense of there's this Old Testament creator God who is kind of mean and grumpy, and there's now this New Testament Jesus who's really nice and kind, but that's not at all what it is. The same God through whom we were created and made us when his creation fell is the same one who enters into his creation to redeem it and to save it through his suffering, and in doing so, to me to bring many sons to glory. He is the one doing this, and he is the one um, that we see in verse ten is the founder of their salvation. This founder of the salvation is being made perfect or made complete, fully in his suffering. That is the suffering that saves us and redeems us and brings us to that glory. That word founder, uh, your Bible might have a different word there. Some Bibles use the term translation, uh, translate the word author, um, some pioneer, um, some use maybe champion. The idea of this word is a leader, but a leader who starts something new. An author, a pioneer, one who begins something. So it's, it's not just like the mayor who leads a city, but it's the founder of a city who also leads it. It's not just um, a teacher, but it's a founder of a school who teaches. So one who begins a new understanding, and that's what Christ is. He's the one who's created, but he is the one who brings us a new creation. He starts something new as he redeems and saves this fallen creation through his own suffering. He is our pioneer. He is our champion. He is the one who leads us into glory, starting something new through his suffering, through the cross. Um, And the next parallel we have is that he who sanctifies, that is, sets apart, makes holy, purifies, makes us something for God's use, claimed by God. That's what sanctifying means. We are the ones who are sanctified. So, the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, us, all have one source. Um, So, what that's saying is (laughs) the word source is there. It means we're all of one and there, there's different understandings of what that one thing we're all of might be. But the, the point this passage is making is we share in what Jesus is. We, we share in who he is, that he's, he's not something separate from us who comes to rescue us. He comes to rescue us being of the same nature that we are. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Um, because he shares our source, he shares our humanity, he shares flesh and blood with us. This is, this is what we're seeing who Jesus is. The one who comes to redeem us is the one who creates all things, but he's also the one who is made to be like his creation, who who takes on our character and takes on who we are. And in doing so, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He's not an embarrassed. Um, um, young person staying away from parents. He's not someone who uh, he, we'll just be honest, you all got them uncles that, you know, you all got some relative that you just kinda um, you know, not sure people want to know this cousin has my name or something. You know, we we have those people in our family. If you don't recognize them, might be you. So but we we you know we got the people that in our family and that we just say, you know, um I'm not, I'm kin to him, but I don't want people to know. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus looks at you in your mistakes, in your failures, in your sins, in your limitations, and, and all the things that you do that you're ashamed of. He looks and says, I, I'm not ashamed to say this is my sister. This is my brother. I've taken on who you are, and I've made myself to be like you. He's identified with us. He has solidarity with us. He has said, I save them not from being something separate and distinct, but I save them and rescue them by becoming like them and becoming one of them and identifying and taking on their shame and saying, these are my people. These are my sisters and brothers. This is who I am. They are with me. That is our salvation is he, he saves us not as someone who, you know, not, not the way we rescue a goldfish, you know, that we're, we have nothing to do with it. We take it and we put it in the water, but he, he saves us as one who comes among us and knows us and claims us. I'm not sure if the goldfish reference. If not, we'll talk afterwards. So He, he explains this by referring to Scripture. The first is Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And we read part of that psalm earlier. And in that psalm, what he's saying is, I'm going to praise the name of God in the midst of my brothers. And so he's saying even in the psalms, we're seeing where he is identified with us. The one singing this psalm is calling us his brothers and sisters. He's saying he is part of the congregation. He's part of of this group of people. Now, Psalm 22 might not be familiar with you, but if if you were to read it, it's the psalm that is describing the crucifixion. Psalm 22 begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as you go on to that psalm, you would think someone was looking into the future and seeing the cross and describing it because it says, my hands have been pierced. They're surrounding me. He describes the agony of the crucifixion. And so, the writer of Hebrews is looking at that psalm, and he's seeing that the one who is here and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is the one who goes to the cross on our behalf, who suffers for us. But he keeps reading, and he says, and the one who did that is the one who identifies and says, I'm going to tell of your name among my brothers. And if it's my brothers, then that means he's saying he's one with us. He's part of us. He's, he's called us into his family. He goes on and he quotes from Isaiah, I will put my trust in him. Behold, I am the children God has given me. And so he's saying that he is connected to these people uh, that are trusting in God. He's showing that connection to them, which is to say that he shares in flesh and blood, that he himself um, partakes of the same thing in partaking of our flesh and blood by being of the one of the same thing. Um, and the reason for that is that so that he might die, that he becomes like us so that he can die like we do. This, this is how we are saved is through his suffering on the cross. And this is, again, it's not someone separate, someone distinct, but someone who comes in and shares the sufferings that we have and the sufferings that we face. The moment the angel announced to Mary, Hail Mary full of grace, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, that she's going to have a son, Jesus, that he's going to save the world. The moment he says that Jesus is conceived, Jesus has taken on flesh and blood, he's going to grow, he's going to mature, he's going to die. The moment Jesus takes on himself flesh is the moment he is headed towards the cross. To be flesh and blood is to be ready to die and to suffer. And this is how God saves us, through a savior who comes and suffers death that we face. So he becomes flesh and blood so that he might die. But in his death is, is not just him suffering and not him being conquered, but you'll remember that his death is the way, as we saw earlier, that he receives the crown of honor and glory. His death is actually not his defeat, but his death is his destruction of, this, of Satan. His death is actually conquering death. His death is conquering sin and the devil who has the power of death. So as he dies, the one who dies is actually in his death, destroying death and the power of death held by Satan. And he frees us in this. How much of our life... It says here that we live our lifelong slavery being subject to death... And how much of our life is that we are facing the reality of death? Our our, our bodies get older. Our our bodies uh, get closer to the grave. We know that death is a result of sin. We know that there is judgment that comes with that. We know that to be human is to die. And how much do we do to not think about it, to convince ourselves that it's not going to happen. So much of what we're enslaved to is, is the guilt of death and, and, and death itself. And so he says, in conquering death, he has freed us and delivered us from the fear of death. In his crucifixion, he's not only taken our guilt, he's not only conquered um, the sin that brings us guilt and division from God, but he's also freed us from the fear of death. So we no longer have to fear judgment. We we no longer have to fear the grave. We no longer have to deny the fact that it is there because we know everlasting life awaits us. And so we live in a freedom and in a joy that he has bought for us on the cross. Now, because of this, I want to point out a few things that the author of Hebrews is pointing out. Therefore... He made him to be like his brothers in every respect. Christ is fully human. He's fully like we are. And he has done this so that we could be united to him. We have a relationship we could not have directly with God. Um, Let me go back to the goldfish. You can't have much of a relationship with the goldfish. That's, you know, there's not a lot of conversation. Might be perfect pet for some of y'all, but, you know, you just can't know what they're thinking because they're not. You know, there's just not much connection, but you can have a connection with a person. With a, with a human, you can look at a person. You can kind of get a sense of what they're feeling just by looking at them, and you can have empathy for another human. You know what it is to be human. You know what it is to, to look at someone and, and get a, you can have a connection, you can have a relationship. you can empathize, you can guess what someone's going to do because we can relate to one another. Uh, and so a connection with God, who is so far above us, much more than that fish is above a human, we couldn't have that directly. He's so far beyond us, but we can have it in Jesus Christ, who is fully human and can know us, can sympathize with us and our weakness who knows what it is to get tired, to be hungry, to be what we are. And so we can fully have a relationship with him just as you can have a relationship with any friend, with any person you know. You have that connection. We can be united to him. And because of that, he can represent us as a high priest. Verse 17, he has been made like us so that he can become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. A priest represents those who are connected to him in making the sacrifice and make an offering. And so Christ represents us because he has been made like us. And because of that, he can represent us before God as he offers himself as a sacrifice. When the high priest of Israel went before the altar, And took a lamb and and cut its throat and offered it to God. It was offering a sacrifice that brought forgiveness to the people. But it only brought forgiveness to the people who were united to him, who were connected to him, who were part of Israel, who were part of this community, who trusted in him. The the sacrifice wasn't a sacrifice for the Philistines. It wasn't a sacrifice for the Amorites and all these other tights we talk about in the Bible. It was a sacrifice for the people of Israel. And so, likewise, when Christ goes and offers a sacrifice, He offers it for those who are united to Him by faith, who are trusting in Him, and He offers it to put away sin. That's what propitiation means. I was joking at Mount Carmel how often we talk about propitiation. Isn't it just something you know that comes up all the time in your conversation? Well, it doesn't. Some of y'all are weird. It might with you, but. Propitiation, the idea is that God's wrath has been satisfied. A sacrifice has taken all of that, and so your sin is cleansed, it's removed. God's wrath against that sin and judgment against that sin is removed because your high priest has offered a sacrifice. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So he's united to us, he offers the sacrifice, But also, he can relate to us in our suffering, in our temptation. This is good news. We don't come to a God who thinks, why is it so hard to keep my commandments? We don't come to a God who is harshly saying, can't you get yourself together? We come to a God who knows what it is to be human. We come to a God who knows what it is to be tempting, tempted, though he never gave in to temptation. When you pray a prayer of forgiveness, you're praying through Jesus, who knew what it was like to want to give up, who knew what it was like to want to give in to what's easy. You're praying to one who goes to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. I, I remember how hard it was To keep your commandments, to to not lash out in anger, to, to be patient, to turn away from the things that would cause me to lust. I know what it was like to do that. So, Lord, forgive them. You come to a God who knows all of what it is to be human. And because of that, He is able to represent us and to relate to us. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed?